I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Have you ever heard of chefs creating restaurant tech? No? Then this episode of Tech Bites is for you. Heritage Radio Network listeners, and welcome to the 70th episode of Tech Bites, hmm. which is kind of amazing That's to awesome. me. Congrats. Yeah. 70. That's a lot. It is. We started in January of 2015 and almost really go like once a week every Monday at one o'clock. Wow. So here we are. That's great. This is episode 70. Very exciting. And we thought it would be nice to bring back some folks from an older episode. So Tech Bites is the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And back in June 2015, episode 24, that intersection was a little app called Shoebox. And we had these two fine gentlemen on to talk about their app. And now that it's about a year later... And we have some traction, and we have some roadway. We thought it would be nice to have them back for a little State of the Union. Say, you know, shoebox, what's up? Right on. Thanks for having us back, Jennifer. <laughs> Absolutely. Always a pleasure. So, but before we get into what's up with the app, we're going to talk about some other apps like we always do at the top of the show. We go around the room, the shipping container, and everybody talks about an app that they love. Old favorite, new discovery. The only rule is... You cannot talk about an app that you own, which we will do later. <laughs> Fair. So first up, because it's a rare treat that we have him on the show today, we have our intern, Greg. <laughs> I don't really use any apps lately. Honestly. Ever? You Come on. The one, I, the one I use most often is actually Notes. I write a lot in my Notes app, but that's, that's really about it. Other than that, it's you know the usual Google Maps, Messenger, Facebook. Nothing too interesting. What was the last app you downloaded? GRE prep course. There you go. Mm. Okay, fair I, enough. I haven't really used it, though, sadly. <laughs> Here's a reminder to use it. Yeah, I know. I get that every day. <laughs> when when do you actually have to take the test? Uh, next Saturday? A week, a week from Saturday? Okay, oh so my gosh, now's, now's the time to, to like just open it up and see like what it looks like. Yeah, I've done that like twice. <laughs> okay, okay. Are you a uh, overnight kind of cram guy? Uh, kind of. I don't, I, I, I don't really study in general, which is probably why I'm not going to go to grad school. <laughs> Excellent. Maybe you can go into a startup. Or <laughs> something. Who knows? <laughs> starting, do starting, starting a tech business is what most kids do today instead of going to grad school or law school or B school. Getting a job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Getting a job. Exactly. Hopefully. <laughs> okay. Well, that was Greg, our intern, who may or may not be passing the GRE later. Also in the back, in the booth, Mission Control, is David Tadasori, who is our engineer, but also the Heritage Radio Network studio manager. That is correct. Do you have Hi. an app for us this week? Uh, yeah, so I haven't used this app yet, but it was recommended to me, and I'm going to give it a try. It's called Headspace, which is this... Ooh, Are you familiar? Yes, that's been a frequent mention on this show. Oh, has it? Go ahead. Have you downloaded it yet? <laughs> no, not yet, not yet. Um, it is available for Android, right? Absolutely. Okay, great. It's also... It, so Headspace is a mindfulness learn to meditate app. Yeah. Oh. And you can download it for free and it has a 10 day 
free meditation sort of cycle. It's 10 minutes a day. That's right. The take 10 program. Exactly. Well, theoretically, you don't have to do it every day, but it's recommended. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes. It's really good. It's guided meditation. It is 100% free of dogma, religion, or ideology. So it's just about breathing and being mindful, which I like also that there's no religious overtone or undertone to it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people really like it. That's cool. Yeah, I'm going to give it a try. I'll report back in uh, seven days and uh, then again when the 10 days has expired and see if I'm a more mindful individual. Perfect. Excellent. So back into the studio. Tony, do you have an app that you like? Yeah. um, I recently, my parents actually introduced me to the fact that you could get a library card and most libraries have an app themselves um, where you can just download digital books like on the regular for free, which is pretty cool. So I've been using the New York City uh, Public Library app a lot. Now, is it the New York City Public Library app, or do you have to get the OverDrive app? Um, they just released their own app. Fantastic. I think it's still powered by OverDrive, or, or I can't quite uh, figure out what the association is there, but they now have their own app where you can reserve books and read them through their app and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty cool. I'm a huge fan of the Public Library. Mm-hmm. I really don't buy books anymore just because of clutter. Right. And trying to sort of downgrade my big old purchase footprint. But then... I love that they go away, too. I don't always want to care, you know, this, you know, international espionage thriller. I don't really need to have that forever. I just want a book to read while I'm at the pool, you know, something like that. You can also download audiobooks. Mm -hmm. So I like that very much. And I was having a conversation with a friend who likes the borrow idea, but also wanted to support, you know, sort of the authors and the commerce of, you know, making the world go around. And I said, well, you can always just donate money to the public library, True. which is a great cause. Yeah. I also like physically going to the library, yeah. which is kind of fun. Yeah. Excellent. I love that. It's good. What one. about you, X? So I uh, was recently introduced to an app called Duolingo. And, uh, you know, I'm always like thinking, how can I like continue to learn and blah, blah, blah. So it's a really cool app where you can choose a language on a daily basis. It will annoyingly remind you to practice, learn words, etc. But it's super fun. I, uh, I studied French in high school and college. So it's nice to refresh, kind of like get new vocabulary going. And Say something in French right now. Uh, je suis prêt. Excellent. Yeah. Moi aussi. Sweet. <laughs> Voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? I thought those were going to bust out with X. Yeah, that would have been, I could see that coming. Yeah, it's not that kind of show. Yeah, and that's a little formal for that request. <laughs> <laughs> so my app today is the Zagat app. So Zagat is a part of Google, as mm-hmm. we all know. And their app had kind of been floundering for many, many years and was kind of crappy and not very good. And they just, on the 26th of July, re-released a new iOS version for iPhone. Brand new. Brand new user interface. It connects with your GPS and your mapping from Google. Yeah, I was going to say. Google. And so you open it up and it'll populate your feed with restaurants around you and the ratings and... That's pretty Very cool. interesting. It, the interface looks quite good. And the other big news with the app itself also is that they are finally getting rid of that 30-point scoring system. Mm. To um, what? what? What will it turn to? I'm so glad you asked. Because <laughs> I remember 25 as being my, my métier. You know what I mean? Like, Shooting for 25 out of 30? Yeah, exactly. Does that put you in like the 10 best list? Uh, it just makes you feel good for no reason. But... <laughs> You know, so backstory to that, that's because you were a restaurant, restaurant person, person and Correct. you worked front of the house. Correct. Service. Yeah. yeah. Z- Zagat or Zagat? I always. Don't know. Is it Zagat? I think so. Okay. Uh, that was always like the um, the nerdy grades, right? Like you would get your grades for the year. And then for some reason, Zagat was always like the, did we do well this year? Right. You know? Like we get we get that one rating and we're like oh man twenty four on service next year we got to push it up and but I always love the quips right like the little the little quotes yeah the, the little the quotes funny from little the people. yeah I thought yes. that was really cool that was their thing that is their thing right How they would cobble together little quotes from people to make the reviews well before Michelin was, right and no bef- no Michelin is over no no meaning in the U S in the U S well Michelin's a different thing because that's totally, an inspector yeah. and Zagat mm. is by the people. I see. It's more democratic. It is democratic. Fair. 
Fair enough. So what they did is they abolished the 30 points, mm. and they went to a 1 to 5 rating. And the 1 to 5 rating kind of parallels what I would say most of the star systems. Yeah. Because 0 to 1 is like poor to fair. 1 to 2 is, you know, fine. 2 mm. to 3 is good. Right. 3 to 4 is very good. And 5 is like exceptionally right. excellent. Right, right. I always thought they needed like a second modifier on those things. Like you could have a like a, what I think the Michelin Guide does a very good job of best in class style restaurants where you could have a maybe you only want two stars, but that's what you do for your you want a two star bistro that could be good for a two star bistro. Yeah. yeah. But like something that has to do with the price or what they're shooting for, like per se, getting a one star review doesn't really make sense to me. It's a three star restaurant. And then did they do a good job of being a three-star restaurant or right. not, I think right. should be the question. Well, they do have the multiple points on the ratings. They have the food, decor, service, mm-hmm. price, and now they geography. Oh, okay. So, like, yeah. you could open it up and it'll populate with, like, what's around Things you right around now. You. Yeah. And then you can also go to the lists of best French, food, news, service, pizza, Bushwick. Deli, like, right. Like, whatever you want. I always like that about... Zagat that uh the multitude of lists People I like watching, the list. celebration family yeah. from yeah. out of town yeah. best date night whatever I like the fact that like like you mentioned kind of touch on it like so a Vietnamese restaurant right is is inherently going to be a little less expensive it's probably going to be a little bit more let's call it relaxed of a vibe I like that there are twenty five point Vietnamese restaurants so it's kind of like that best in class thing mm-hmm. although now they're going to be five point or four point exactly yeah. That's exactly. cool. Yeah, so it's nice as I get, you know, kind of moving forward, getting a little benefit from being inside Google. Oh, f- f- for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't And then, hurt. you know, some of the headlines were like a combination of Yelp and Foursquare. Is it a Yelp killer? Is it, you know, looks good? And mm-hmm. it, so I, th- I think they did a really nice job. We'll Great. see what kind of I'll traction they get and all that. The only downside to Zagat, well, not the only, but one of the, one of the criticisms of Zagat has always been the Zagat effect. So Zagat is a compilation of public Quotes, recommendations, right? yeah. public scoring, and then it just aggregates it all and averages it out. So back in the olden days, you used to get a paper survey in the mail from Zagat that. that you yeah. had to fill out. And you filled it out yeah. and you mailed it in. And then they mailed you back a copy of the paper book for your services. So the, the, uh. the rules were you could only write about or review a restaurant that you had been to, which makes sense. But then what would start to happen over time, and they call it the Zagat effect. And if you Google the Zagat effect, there will be a bajillion articles that come up. There may even be like a Wikipedia page. And the Zagat effect was... Per se becomes a three-star restaurant, and when he says three stars, he means three stars Michelin, not the New York Times, because the great rating there would be four, so four stars New York Times, three-star Michelin, uh, top 50 best restaurants in the world, so it becomes this like beacon of fine dining internationally. So people go to Per Se, they go one time, because it's a special occasion restaurant, and it costs like a grand for two people, Yeah. and they will review it, and they will say... We went to Per Se, and yes, we too agree that it is a beacon of fine dining in the world. We went to Per Se, and yes, we think just like all the critics. We're yeah. in that same boat. So what happens is you get a lot of people who are one-time, right. one-time visitors to a restaurant because most of these, you know, a lot of places are a special occasion. And then they just agree with everybody to show that they know just as much or just uh, as well as everybody else. So then everybody agrees. So once a restaurant starts to do well, it'll continue to do well for a long period of time because all those people who go will just continue to agree with each other because I know what I'm talking about. Right, right. Me and the Michelin inspectors, we're totally on the same page. <laughs> Makes sense. Fair. So they call it the Zagat effect. And it's when you have a democratic, like, communal review, mm. sort of momentum is your friend, and mm. good reviews make for more good reviews, make for longstanding. That's why those 
it's really hard to move from 24 to 25. And everybody kind of stays in the top 10 and the top 20 for a really long so period kind of, of time. just stays where the initial... It perpetuates, perpetuates itself. itself. Right. Yeah. Unless something really awful happens and then people start to say, but this was awful. This mm. was not, you know, a beacon of fine dining. Right. Poor restaurant people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly getting beat down. Totally. <laughs> Constantly getting beat down. Yeah. Well, you worked at Oriole, and Oriole was a perpetual like top ten, top 20. 27, 28 on the forever, right? For Dagger effect, time. yeah, but totally. He's being modest. He's probably got it tattooed somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we hit twenty nine on service. I don't care about the service. <laughs> so, as I mentioned up at the top of the show, these two gentlemen are actual restaurant people who started a piece of restaurant technology. And it's very unusual because most of the food tech and restaurant tech that we talk about on this show really comes from people not in the restaurant world. And it comes primarily from somebody who has an experience in a restaurant as a diner. And they look around and they say, wow, I wish I had a better experience and I'm going to fix this problem in the dining room with a cool piece of food tech. And I'm going to make it a better place for my fellow diners. And I'm going to solve this really critical problem for restaurants and save the industry, even though I don't know jack shit about it. I have an advisor on my board who does know something about restaurants that I talk to once a month on the phone. (laughs) And I've also hired somebody who has a pretty good Rolodex. Right. We have authenticity here. And it's interesting that you chose not to fix front of the house, which is where most of the food tech is, but you chose yeah. to fix back of the house. So in a quick synopsis, tell us what Shoebox does. Uh, Shoebox solves, well, the reason we associate it with the back of the house is because that's where the pain point really is for us as operators. We're like, we're up till one o'clock in the morning doing this paperwork every night um, when we should be doing something besides data entry. So we built Shoebox to facilitate the data entry process for restaurants, uh, much in the same way a point of sale system will allow them to automate their sales numbers. This allows them to automate their purchase numbers overnight so they can have more control of their costs and also have uh, a digital uh, filing cabinet of all of their invoices. So it's a point of purchase, purchase, meaning it organizes all the invoices from all the vendors that come in. It's the flip side of the coin to the point of sale. Yeah. Right. And what people don't realize is every single thing that's in a restaurant, they had to buy and pay for, which means there's a piece of paper attached to it. And, you know, a lot of it isn't even... It's not exclusively food and beverage. It's from pest control to window washing to graphic design. There's a lot of bills coming through the back. Yeah, Yeah. it's everything. And what people also don't realize is all those amazing artisan farmers and little local producers and growers that make the amazing products often show up with a box of beautiful strawberries and a post-it note that says... $52. Right. It's tough. It's really tough, right? And like... uh, We we still get handwritten invoices that say much more than that. I mean, they'll be 50 items long. It's insane. It's insane. I mean, it's... uh, And the last thing that you want to do after you've been on your feet all day is sit behind a desk and look at a computer. It's really like the least exciting part I think about of the restaurant job is... Yeah, no one goes to culinary school to learn Excel. Yeah. Do they teach Excel in culinary school? Probably not. I don't even know that they teach punctuation in schools, <laughs> period, anymore. So, I mean, I think Y has now become a one-letter word. <laughs> like, the world is changing drastically. My, my Catholic school upbringing has uh, made me feel pretty old lately. Cause you know how to write by hand. I, yes, I can write in cursive, and I use proper punctuation when I can, and uh, things are just changing rapidly. So a year ago when you were last here, you had the business up and running. Sure, yeah. You had a a product that worked, an app. You had business. You had funding. You had some customers. Yeah. So what are the the top three gross points from last year? Um, Users, of course. There's things we track, how many users we have, um, how many restaurants are using our system, and then how many invoices we're processing. Um, those are our kind of growth points. So in broad numbers, like not the actual numbers, but percentages, did you increase 10%, 50%, double, tripled. quadruple, tripled? Yeah, we tripled. Tri- tripled yeah. your user base? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And the number of restaurants? 
um, tripled as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. Pretty much across the board. And how many invoices? And so you process invoices in real time. Near time, it's Near called. time. Yes. Okay. Near time. So it's overnight. Yes. yes. We prefer to keep it real, right? <laughs> we could say it's real time, but uh, it's, you know, within hours of delivery, you can have all your numbers back. Yeah. How many invoices do you process overnight? Can you tell us? Can you give us a ballpark? Sure. Is it a big number? It's in the thousands now. Yeah. Um, it fluctuates, interestingly enough, right? I mean, of course. Beginning of the week, end of the week? Tuesdays. Yeah, Tuesdays, Tuesdays, Tuesdays are, are our biggest day. Yeah. Sunday is obviously the slowest because a lot of people don't make deliveries. Um, but it'll fluctuate. It's, it's interesting. Like, you'll see upticks in the winter when it seems like it makes sense. A lot of restaurants are going through their holiday season. Um, in the summertime, it'll start to slow down a little bit as restaurants kind of slow purchasing for the weekends. It's kind of a, an interesting barometer as to the restaurant industry as a whole. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're processing thousands of invoices I every day I stopped looking now. a few months ago. Yeah, I stopped not, looking, too. I stopped looking, too. That's like a good number, growing. though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like numbers and data. It would be great to say, yeah, we process 72,000 oh, sure, sure. invoices oh, yeah. overnight. We, can, we tend to go more, because we have an office in the Philippines with, with data entry professionals who do this data. Um, so we tend to go more by time. How many can they process? Or if we, we have a target of all the invoices are ready by 9 a.m. the next morning. It's really 6, but we say 9 a.m. Um, and if it, that we start to get close to that number, that's when we know to like dive in and look and see what yeah. where, where we need to create efficiencies or hire more people. Yeah, we're probably, I mean, we're probably processing almost close to 8,000 invoices, I think, a day now. Could be. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of paper. It's a lot. That's a lot of paper. Uh, I would say that that's pages. Right. It's a lot of pain. Because we track pages, because um, some invoices are three, four, or five pages. Yeah. yeah. So what would you attribute the growth to? Necessity. Um, people like being able to do more value-added work. Um, it's a very sticky product. People tend to stay with it uh, and bring it with them to their next job, location, opening area. So the fact that we don't have a lot of churn um, enables us to maintain our user base and grow it without really having dips and valleys. So once it's in a restaurant, it's probably going to stay there. It's if that person, if yeah. that person, even if that person leaves. Yes. And actually, that we went back and forth about this on email earlier this week. The transient nature of the restaurant business mm -hmm. in terms yeah. of staff has actually been helpful to you in this Big instance, yes. where it probably made you crazy. Right. As operators. Right. Yeah. It really it works for our advantage. They, it, their restaurants are incredibly difficult to sell a new product to, incredibly. Yes. It takes months, if not years, to close a deal for uh, you know, uh, a product that isn't really very expensive. But then once you – the flip side of that is that once you are in, then they right. tend to not deviate from that. Right. So it's a very long sales lead time, but then you have that customer for years and years and years. Right. And then when they leave and change jobs, they call you right away. Pretty a lot much. of times, yeah. yeah. A lot of times. The thing is, I, I think, you know, in, in different restaurants, there's different levels of responsibility from an admin level. But the moment you get a taste of freedom. From, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. When you don't have to sit behind a desk or you're not calling the accountant to figure out what you spent on tuna last week or there's not this crazy back and forth about strawberries didn't get paid for credits when all that stuff starts to go away and you realize what a time suck it is and what a resource suck it is how inefficient the process is and uh like you said you get a taste for shoebox um i think really it's it's process transformational it's just people don't take the time to think about how much of a hindrance it is to be governed by paper because they're so into other areas of the business. Like you mentioned, like maybe the dishwasher called out, maybe the, the plumbing is screwed up in the prep kitchen. There's all kinds of other immediate emergencies. It almost feels like, and you don't, a lot of people don't take time to say, all right, how can I change my process to open up time for me? Right? So once you get that, somebody's made that decision for you and you can get a you know get some time back in your life um i think at that point people really gravitate to towards it yeah. they don't want to go back right. they don't want to sit and do excel spreadsheets or you know try to figure out what invoice needs to get paid for i mean everything's so much cleaner so it's been an interesting ride 
I I figured people would be a lot more attuned to this, something like this, but it takes time. It's a habit that we're trying to change. Changing people's behavior. It's That's hard. what technology is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And right now we're going to take a little break and see who our sponsors are who help us buy time. Time to make radio. Heritage mm-hmm. Radio is a 501c3 nonprofit. And we are 100% supported by our members and amazing sponsors coming up next. And this one is called Let's Not by Shadowbox. We'll be right back. If you've just joined us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show on Heritage Radio Network, where every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m., we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, that technology is a company called Shoebox. That's not S-H-O-E. has nothing to do with Louboutin or Air Force Ones. It's <laughs> Shoebox, C-H-O-U-X, B-O-X. Shoe is... French for cabbage, and also patachou, which is the nice pastry that you make eclairs and gougere with. Yeah, I'm sitting here with the two founders, Tony Aziadi and Xavier Marias Corena. Good. Oof. <laughs> I know it's rough to have them back to see a year in how they're doing, and they're doing good. They're expanding. They have more users. They have more paper. Do you think you're also growing really well because you don't really have a competition set? Is there a comp set for POP? I mean, I've had a number of POS and table management companies onto this show, payment apps and things like that. Again, all really geared towards front of the house. Do you have a point of purchase competitor? Well, I mean, box.com. Is it box? Bill. Bill Bill.com has been around for a long time, and they're more just the paperwork and AP automation thing. Uh, We're a specialized version of that. Um, And by and large, restaurants, there isn't that much out there for restaurants to help do this because it's it's a very labor-intensive process. It's not all just data flying around. It's pulling stuff off of paperwork. So I think it hasn't really been attacked because it's an unsexy solution to a hidden problem. In a way, it's not customer facing. It doesn't bring in more customers. It doesn't bring in more revenue necessarily. So it's kind of an untapped market. Yeah. So it doesn't bring in more customers. It doesn't bring in more revenue. It drastically reduces the amount of resources you have to put in to managing all of your billing. So conceivably, it could save you time and money on the back end. Oh, it's oh big a huge time. amount. We have people that are, you know, they're, they're saving tens of thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. Our average unit will save about twenty five thousand to fifty five thousand a year, and it's kind of hard to conceptualize. But if you can imagine, if we could save three to four hours on a bookkeeper every week, then on top of that, we can give you uh, much more proactive costs, so that you're not you can make a, an adjustment midweek to hit your numbers. That by itself is huge. Um, think about all the FedEx and all the hours it takes just to organize invoices. So if I'm paying somebody, you know, 18 bucks an hour and all they're doing is filing invoices from five different restaurants all day and they could be doing other things or maybe they can, you know, affect another part of the business, 
there's all kinds of little hidden costs that we really help to streamline. Yeah, we like to say spend. We like to allow them to spend their time analyzing the data instead of collecting it. Right. So how how data analytical are restaurant people? I mean, you talked about the sell being a long process, and we know that entrepreneurs and restaurant owners and business owners right now are just absolutely inundated and overloaded with all kinds of technology and all types of tech salespeople walking in the door. I mean, everything from Wi-Fi to systems to payment to POS, table management, all of that. So is that what you're fighting? Are you just fighting a volume of tech sales calls? Are people not even aware of what data is? It's because it's brand new. I think we don't have any kind of a comparative uh, solution out there that's like, okay, our point of sale system is better than your point of sale system because we have customer management features and stuff like that. It's, it's very new. Yeah. It's something that is uh, changing the way their process, which they don't change readily. Yes. It's, it's incredible, right? So think about it like this. So, you know, we have We've talked to hundreds and hundreds of restaurant groups, and some of them, you know, have really interesting remarks to to how they run their business. Right? For example, there's a group out there, very famous, does a great job, um, but their response to how they manage their bills and their costs is: if a check bounces, that week was bad for food cost, and if it doesn't bounce, if there's money left over in the account after the week is over then food cost was good. That kind of sounds almost like Russian roulette. Well, you'd be surprised <laughs> right? how many restaurants... Like, I'm going to write all these checks, and it is. fingers crossed, everything cashes. It's uh, an incredibly it's, reactive system. We would, we would yeah. call it the bouncy ball game. Yeah. The bouncy ball. Oh, how many bouncy balls this week? It's incredible, right? It, it, you just... Restaurants, unfortunately, just don't don't look for and don't have, in many cases, the tools necessary to run a proper business. So now that you have some hindsight to your business, what are some of the most surprising things that you learned? Good or bad? What was something that you just completely did not see coming? And for two people who have worked in the restaurant industry for, you know, decades. Yeah. What what has what has been the most surprising about this? Good, bad or otherwise? It, it's been surprising to me how hard it is to um, to level with people. That it's it's been incredibly frustrating. This whole thing, right? We from the inside have focused so much. Like we're not even predatory. We we don't make a lot of money on this thing. We're trying to help. We're trying to streamline processes. We're trying to bring smaller independent restaurants to the new wave, right? Of how to operate your business. And it's been incredibly humbling to experience people's doubt, to um, understand how different a relationship can be with someone that you spend a lot of time on the, on the let's say, on the fire with, right? Like in the middle of battle. And then, you, you know, there's a lot of people I've helped in their careers and stuff. You trusted me during that time but now when I want to show you another way to help your operation, now that I'm not on the battle line with you, all of a sudden this conversation turns into like a sales count. And it's, it, it's really interesting, like almost like friendships and your, you know, your, your connections, they don't want that relationship to change. Um, that has been incredibly frustrating for me that people that I've helped in – and Tony too – it's, it's, it's interesting that we thought that we would be able to rely on our first-tier relationships to help Shoebox proliferate, but that was not the case at all. It's yeah. uh, second-tier and third-tier where we've had almost all of our success. Do you think Correct. that's because people that know you well from your experience in the kitchen and on the floor perceive you as, as, as being that? Yeah, like, oh, you're really, you're a really great cook. You're going to expedite. You're amazing at fish and, mm-hmm. you know, that could be special it. sauce. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't trust. I don't really think that you know shit about technology. Like, mm-hmm. really? Like, is this for real? Right. You, you're a tech guy? Right. Yeah. 
I could be that. I, I think a lot of it, too, is like the moment I call a buddy of mine who, let's say we ran a steakhouse together, the moment I call them, they don't want to talk about business. Yeah. They want to talk about, you know, like they want to talk about how things are going or the girl they're dating or how wasted they got after inventory, you know, like <laughs> they want to talk about like life stuff and they don't want to turn that conversation into, hey, there's a better way to operate your business. They don't want to go there. And another really interesting thing, just in general, has is, is been how hard it is to um, to get restaurant people in general to understand the basic cadence of the business world, right? Like, so many times they'll say, hey, man, I'd love to talk to that guy. They're like, oh, here, I'm going to write their, their email on a piece of paper. And I'm like, dude, why can't you just write an email and copy me? And make an intro. This is why I say the restaurant business is still at the tech level of pencil on cocktail napkin. Definitely. It absolutely is. This is why they get a bad rap for being not tech savvy and not in the 21st century and not willing to try. We are definitely noticing a a shift, though, with uh, younger people coming into operations from different backgrounds, such as finance or something like that. And they're like, what is going on here? Yeah. What is going What What is this? Somebody's taking a cab around to collect invoices from yeah. five places. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. that's for real. Is that true? Somebody sends oh, yeah. it. Somebody, somebody yeah. sends. Well, the accountant goes around on Monday by cab, a combination of cab and subway, and picks up the invoices from yeah. five locations and then spends all day the rest of the day doing the from data the entry. five restaurant locations. Yeah, right. But you know they're spending seventy dollars. That, on that sounds like old school mafia. Like, <laughs> it, go it to is. the newsstand on one hundred twenty first and get the brown paper bag of receipts and bring it back. It, that's yeah, that's right. Not it is rare. what it is. It's not, not rare. rare. It's the all. norm. It's yeah. the norm. I mean, you know, aside from all the pain, right? There's been super positive stuff. Like, uh, it's been incredible to be a part of people's financial process. Right. Like I didn't I never imagined at the beginning of this that really well respected, awesome restaurants would um, would be counting on us. Right. To process bills, to understand costs, to run a better business. So those who we have get people it, saying that they're saving a point on food cost um, wow. just by having the control, just by seeing just numbers. by seeing the numbers. Yeah. Asked. One person told me, like, you know. Tony. Within the same week. Oh, yeah. Correct. Not like a couple months. Yeah, later. correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one, I had a, had a meeting with a customer last month, and they said, you know, Tony, ever since we started using Shoebox, labor's been our biggest problem. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Tell me why. I Like, I'll fix it. Please. Like, no, because food cost is set. We don't, yeah. need, we don't even do budgets anymore. Wow. It's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, that stuff is super gratifying. I mean, it's just the yin and the yang, and, and you always... You you always um, t- take for granted, right? Like all the things that um, that come naturally after time. You put your time in and all, like just like you know butchering, right? You, you put a lot of time into it. It's super easy after a while. It takes a lot of time, especially in a in a segment that you um, are kind of pioneering. It takes a lot of time. For yeah, we've t- we've tended. I think our restaurant experience has helped so much in just operating our business, right? Operating our business, yeah. and it would kind of chose long ago to not well we were forced to you know things aren't going to happen overnight and you know get asses in seats and keep them happy and your business will grow yeah it's all about those asses and those seats exactly did you when you were cooking on the line or when you were seating people at table 43 did you think you were going to be an innovator in your industry did you think you were going to be a tech innovator Uh, yeah i wanted to have a three three or four three-star michelin restaurant you know i I had no idea that this something like this would take over but once i got once i was you know a corporate chef in charge of more restaurants i could see like things i would try to do to streamline operations and things of that nature um no i couldn't have anticipated it i thought i was going to be in restaurants forever um until this took over and actually i feel more part of the fabric of restaurants now than when i was just a chef locked in a basement somewhere cooking great <laughs> right. food i'm in and out of restaurants i'm meeting awesome people i've get to experience uh more cuisines and things than i ever got to before what yeah. about you i i never i never expected to be here right i i uh i always kind of avoided technology not in the sense where i was didn't like it. You are the guy writing notes on a napkin. I, I was. I was. And I was, I, I'm like a big people person, love to interact. Uh, I feed off of social interaction. I feed off of smiles and gestures and all the 
kind of subtleties of the dining room floor and making people feel good. And um, I never expected to have um, such like a it's almost a disconnect in a way, right? Because you're not you're not face to face with people. You're on the phone. You're communicating through email and things like that. Um, so it's a part of being in restaurants. I miss a lot is that camaraderie and but um, but it's a really interesting place to be in because the restaurant space in general is just ripe for all kinds of innovation that can happen and who knows where we'll be in five years I mean I think it's it's been a really interesting ride and there's something to be said for getting out of the four walls that you're always in right and meeting people outside of that and you know not serving the same Pinot Noir for six years on end there's something cool <laughs> there's something cool about you know getting out there and and uh experiencing like tony said like all different kinds of operators personality types i will say it's been uh an interesting um transition going from restaurant people like chefs and psalms and managers to um the administrative side the corporate side yeah the business side maybe the conversations don't have as much color you know what I mean it's a little bit drier they're happening like during the day over coffee I think it's the personality type in general right you go in to talk to a CFO it's not like going in to talk to a chef that's another change that we thought we would be selling to like restaurant people right but you know and it's like nope you go to the corporate office it's the CFO who makes the call which is a whole different world yeah was it intimidating at first Totally, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, just not being familiar with how sales processes work in general. Yeah. You know, the and lingo. It's like, There's a this whole good, language you take, to it. Buy, you know, right. Um, and then just the cadence of the time it takes and the communication it takes. Is, it yeah. was really something to learn. Yeah. So you're about halfway through the year now. Ooh. What are you looking at to close out 2016 when you have some broad stroke goals that you're looking at, numbers to hit? I think one of the other humbling and amazing parts about this journey has been to take every day by day, right? Of course, we have goals, but I mean, by and large, I just want to make our current customers happier every day, be a great business relationship to them. And by virtue, our business has grown, right, dramatically just based on taking care of the dining room, right? Like we say, like, people have asked us, how do you scale this business and stuff? We're like, hey, man. That's my favorite question we get. Yeah. How are you going to scale? How are you you're, scale getting, you're getting that from the tech and the business and the oh, investor yeah. side, all, all, right? all angles. How are you going to scale this? And we're like, the moment that problem, that becomes a problem, how we scale, right. that is the greatest day ever because it means we can't keep up. Right. We're nowhere near that, right? So um, so at this point, I think it's about growing on a monthly, on a month, every month growing, growing customers, growing invoices, growing uh, restaurants. And outside of that, it's just, you know, proof is in the pudding as far as like delivering a good product and service. I can see why your old bros from service life probably don't know how to talk to you because I bet they would not believe their ears listening to you talking about how beautiful the journey's been. You got to love it. I mean, you know? Yeah, you got to love it's it. It's very... It's, it's been painful, wow. right? It's been painful and wonderful and you grow a lot. But I think... It's just like, you know, uh, we put all together all kinds of business plans and stuff. My favorite is a quote by Sam Caliglione, right? Uh, Who the, is that? He's the founder of Dogfish. Okay. And, uh, you know, he's spent, obviously, years building this craft beer movement and all. And he, uh, he was, uh, I believe, a literature uh, bachelor's degree. And he said he, he only got to use it was when he wrote his greatest piece of fiction, which was his business plan, <laughs> right? And I, I think that's incredible because, you know, you can make all these goals and stuff, but at the end of the day, you just got to make the people you're working with happy. It'll grow naturally. And, you know, I'm, we've, had, we've, not, we've not hit goals and we've exceeded goals. It's just you never know. Yeah. You never know. So if you could have a shot at talking to a restaurant group or a meeting, do you have, like, a number one super VIP dream client that you'd like to have? Is there one restaurant group, chef, restaurant? Who would it be? 
You have some nice names on the website, on the client list. You have some prestige. You have some great places. Is there something where the two of you talk about, oh, my God, if we could just get this restaurant, it would be amazing. (laughs) It's it's interesting, right? um, It could be something like that, like scale, because then that would be like scale. But, I mean, do you have... Do you have like a holy grail? Of, we, of we've your... hit so many of those great customers that come with beautiful brands and, and incredible. I'm restaurants. talking about the visceral thing. Like I when would, you uh, were a chef, when you were coming up, there was a restaurant you wanted to work in. I there would was really a place like it if the Philly. Charlie Palmer Group would use the product. <laughs> 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 that would be fantastic for me because it's basically tailor made for them, and they they don't want it. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, just from a just from a personal level. Yeah, personal yeah. level. I mean, I would love to work with Mugaritz or any any Basque badass. You just want to get star. in to see what they're buying. I, I also so you would. Could, you could have you could have international clients. I thought I think of you as being yeah. a domestic American product, but you no. can have clients outside. Oh, oh yeah. we can have clients everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're actually right. we're no, traveling with a client in Australia right now. Yeah. And you know we have we have some of our um, well, some you know, of our fifty best restaurants is doing their whole shindig in Australia next year. Oh really? How cool! Mm-hmm. Yeah, they decided to start changing venues, and this year it was in New York City, and they're having the next one in Australia. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, Fran Adria is not in a kitchen anymore, but you know, I would love to work with some of my Spanish cooking heroes. You know, that'd be pretty cool. Um, but at this point, I mean, we've gotten so many great customers, you know, um, we're, we're super lucky in that regard. Um, but you know, they don't pay bills, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a, 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 an awesome three unit group in San Francisco is like great. Like, like, you know, you're proud and you want to help them. There's also this, this doing good so for you, the community. So you kind of really do want Chili's. Oh yeah. But we want, yeah, we want, we want a yeah. business a business process focused group of that scale will change our lives, right? Yeah. But who knows? They might build it on their own if we show it to them. So who knows? Could be. Yeah. Well, 45 plus minutes have just whizzed right on by and we're out of time. But as I always do at the end of every show, I like to ask my guests for a little piece of advice that listeners can use in real life. So they touched on it briefly, but we didn't really articulate it fully. All the magic of shoebox happens overnight in the Philippines, where they have what I like to call magical elves processing and doing all the data <laughs> entry. The best. They are the best. And the fact that they are doing business in the Philippines has facilitated quite a number of trips mm-hmm. to the Philippines. So my, advi- my question to both of you is... What's your best advice to somebody landing in a foreign country that they've never visited, where they don't speak the language, and they have to go out to dinner with locals? How do you navigate that? What's your best piece of advice? Because I know you both have actually been in those situations. Yeah. um, I think think if you're going... And this is pre-Duolingo. Yeah, this is pre-Duolingo. Well, first off, uh, Tagalog is super hard. Mabuhay. It's hard to learn, right? Uh, I'd say my, my, uh, <laughs> find condiments you like, number one, right? Because I, there's definitely some funky stuff I ate. How about that then, balut? Yeah. I mean, if you put, if you put spices on things like hot sauce will make a lot of things taste good. Um, so be open-minded and don't ask questions until after you've eaten, <laughs> right? Eat with reckless abandon and don't let your cultural closed-mindedness guide your eating after you're done then ask questions because i've eaten like chicken anus and all kinds of things i just don't have any interest in you know what i mean but but they were tasty and you add hot sauce and tastes like chicken okay because it was because <laughs> it, it was chicken yeah. uh you know i think you just got to go with it like i said you, you just you can't have too many inhibitions you know it's 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 kind of an interesting thing someone said to me long before that Americans define themselves by what they don't eat these days where other cultures define themselves by what they do eat so you can't really go in with a lot of a list of a laundry list of items that you don't eat that doesn't work you'll starve yeah yeah okay what about all the allergies what about gluten-free and allergic restrictions and Uh, if it's a valid allergy sure but 
I mean, if you're gluten intolerant, then I would, uh, I feel bad for that person, number one. Bring some um, granola bars. Yeah, but I mean, it's just like, it's always interesting to me how many gluten intolerant people are out there and that the building block of our whole civilization is bread. So I just don't know what's happening with Darwin. Like, something didn't quite, like, align there. But for people like that, I mean, I think at the end of the day, if you go to a restaurant, you go to a a bar, in most cases, people want to make you happy, right? That's why we're around. That's universal. It's universal. So I think as long as you're open-minded and nice and you ask, don't tell, in most cases, people will try to accommodate you. And if they can't, I mean, a lot of things, you've got to be very self-educated because if you go into a little, you know, into a a barbecue spot in Manila and tell them that you're gluten intolerant, they don't know that soy sauce has gluten in it or things like that. True. Right. I'm not saying they don't, but a lot of times they might not. So you have to be very careful, you know, in those cases. So be informed and at the same time have a little reckless abandon. Yes. Excellent. Well, we too at Tech Bytes like to please our audience. We have an email account, which is techbyteshrn at gmail.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram at techbyteshrn. We'd love to hear from you. We're very interactive. Like the show, hate the show, have a good topic, a good app. Let us know. We'll give you a shout. This is Tech Bytes. If you like this, come back and see us on Mondays at 1 o'clock on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Jennifer Leutze. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.